Hello, my name is Nick Spacek, and you're listening to From and Inspired by, a podcast about soundtracks and the people who make them. On this episode, we continue our series, Your Favorite Soundtrack, where we talk to our favorite podcasters about the soundtracks they love. This episode we're talking with April Wolf, host on this episode we're talking with April Wolf, host of Switchblade Sisters, a podcast providing deep cuts on genre flicks from a female perspective. Every week, Wolf, former lead film critic for LA Weekly, sits down with a phenomenal female filmmaker to slice and dice a classic genre movie, horror, exploitation, sci-fi, and many others. Along the way, they cover craft, the state of the industry, how films get made, and more. April spoke with us via Skype about the amazing and intriguing mess that is the soundtrack to the 1994 Keanu Reeves, Sandra Bullock action extravaganza, Speed. you so much for taking time out of your day to do this i do appreciate it yeah thanks for having me on nick so today we are going to be talking about the soundtrack to 1994's action adventure film starring keanu reeves and sandra bullock speed <laughs> oh sorry i'm laughing i just it's such a it's such a weird soundtrack to talk about i'm so happy that you're letting me so no, it was really interesting. I, I'm i really familiar with the movie Speed, but hadn't been all of that in, like informed regarding the soundtrack. And mm-hmm. I started looking at it, and I'm like, oh, it's one of those. Mm-hmm. Um, when we were emailing back and forth, um, you had like a really good point. Uh, and I think we should probably start there, that it says a lot about the time period and the shift away from the various artist soundtracks after the 2000s. This, yeah. The, the, the thing about the Speed soundtrack, for those listening who aren't familiar with it, is like there are on the soundtrack a dozen tracks. There are four of them in the film. Mm-hmm. And then that's where you get like the, you know from and inspired by (laughs) exactly um Uh, these are these are mostly inspired by and i i have to say a lot of this a lot of the way that the soundtrack came together it has to do with a guy named ralph saul um have you ever talked about ralph on the podcast before no i have not ralph is um he was pretty instrumental in a lot of these 90s kind of from and inspired by uh, soundtracks. Um, a lot of people might know him from doing um, uh, Can't Hardly Wait. Um, uh, gosh, what's the big one? Ten Things I, I Hate About You. Um, uh, the Craft. 
you know, a lot of uh, really kind of beloved 90s things. We have done shows on many of the ones you just mentioned. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so he, he put these together. This one, I would say, is maybe one of the least successful ones that he did. It was, it was popular in Japan. We'll say that. Big in Japan. Yeah, real big in Japan. Um, but this one, I think it, it was kind of a mess. What Ralph is really excels at is combining old and new in his soundtracks. Um, and so he'll go with an artist from like the 1970s and then then follow that up with a contemporary artist that he's hoping maybe to break. Um and, you know, in the, the Can't Hardly Wait soundtrack, for instance, you've got some um, older replacements songs that are in it um, and some run DMC. But uh, that's like alongside um, Third Eye Blind and some newer tracks. Um, and this one, he he's definitely going for that because the title track. Did, <laughs> did you remember the title track Speed by, by Billy Idol at yeah, all? I, I the, I had to go back and re-listen to it, and I recall like hearing it maybe twice when that film came out. Yeah, and you know this is it's what plays um, uh, when the credits roll. You know, uh, they they survive, everything's great, and then Billy Idol plays, um, and he uh, Billy Idol wrote this song with um, his longtime guitarist Steve Stevens, um, and he when this song came out. And when Ralph Saul had asked him to do it, he had not had anything on the charts for a very long time. So this song was supposed to be his comeback. Um, and again, it didn't really do much outside of Japan. So it was it was kind of a sad failure for him. And it is still to this day, I think, the last song that was on any kind of chart that he had, the last single. What's interesting is... Like Billy Idol would have his, like his actual resurgence wouldn't be for what like another seven or eight years until the wedding yeah. singer, which, yeah. which it's not even it's him playing himself, but it, there's no, you know, music. Yeah, I mean it's it's interesting. You know, Ralph Saul was trying to build up this nostalgia for him, but the the song is just it's not it's there's nothing really inspiring about it. Um, if you look at the lyrics, Ralph Saul had just kind of directed him, like watch the movie, come up with something from the plot. And if you look at the lyrics, it's really just him <laughs> saying the plot, <laughs> which are my favorite. I, there's nothing I enjoy more than a song that condenses the plot of a song uh, of a film into like three or four minutes. Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm a sucker for those, but like oh, even yeah. this one isn't particularly great. No, no. I mean, it's one of my favorite things I loved that he says uh, in the chorus, Oh, let it bleed. Yeah. Grease lightning. <laughs> Let's speed on speed on wheels on wheels. <laughs> or my favorite lyrics, I've seen a train full of pain. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Um, but still, I mean, I do think that Ralph's instincts were, were, were in the right place, um, even if it didn't quite work out. Um, What's really interesting that you bring, like, speaking of Ralph Salt, like, this is, this follows sort of the way he would make his soundtracks. As you mentioned, you know, the old and the new, but he also seemed to be very 
uh, fond of having current artists cover old songs. Like, there, oh, yeah. like on every single one of the soundtracks, like you've mentioned, there's like a, a, a cover, if not multiple covers, like The Craft and Things I Hate About mm-hmm. You. Um, and on this one, we've got the Gen Blot. We've got Gen, just Gen Blossoms, not the Gen Blossoms. Um, yeah, I know. <laughs> Gin Blossoms doing Soul Deep, which was a, a box top song. Um, it's I, I think what we can say about it is that it is, it is capable. <laughs> yes, yes, it's like a it's like an old Honda Civic. That's good enough. It'll get you there. Um, but it's it's I mean and then think talking about covers. Also, you've got Pat Benatar covering Rescue Me, and Pat Benatar had already been out of the cultural consciousness for a while, and then covering a song Rescue Me, which was written like from decades before, um, really just a fascinating choice. <laughs> yeah, and and as as you, as you mentioned, uh, going back to that email. Like in full on all caps mode, Blues Traveler next to Saint Etienne. Like, what the hell is going on? <laughs> I, and like Saint Etienne is not a big name. Like I don't think no. they ever really broke here stateside at all. No, just like at the college radio stations, really. And but you know, like Blues Traveler, they're still going strong. Um, <laughs> But um, what's kind of interesting, though, is that this was almost like putting Blues Traveler on this soundtrack of of, of all of the songs that are on it. Like it it can actually be seen to be kind of prescient in Mm -hmm. a way, because like Blues Traveler, like when this soundtrack was put together, hadn't hit yet. No, no. And it it felt like Saul, uh, Ralph Saul was like kind of taking chances to see what might be big. You know, he's like, okay, I like this. Like if you look at, um, there's two, uh, I believe that there's, or maybe is there just one? Uh, I thought there were two Carnival Strippers songs, but maybe there's just one. Um, and the Carnival Strippers, uh, that's, um, uh, Loie Nelson, her name is, I think. Um, you know, they had like a couple of songs that were like, Beloved on college radio stations exactly when the Speed soundtrack came on, and then nothing. <laughs> um, but it's one of those things where, like, their sound was of the moment. They had kind of like a uh, a rock noir kind of Chris Isaac mm. wicked game thing going on, which was like in Massey Star, like that kind of thing. And um, and they never broke, but he was trying to, you know, take a chance on them, like maybe just roll the dice. And um, Blues Traveler did break, so he got one. <laughs> <laughs> That's really sort of the interesting thing. Like, I mean, like any soundtrack, like going back to like when the the various artists' compilations related to film started back in the '80s, it is always very uh, interesting to go back and look at the track listings and see how many. Um, could have been's almost was and like never was is are are on there um mm-hmm. like especially for action films and like teen comedies which w- seems to be like the two genres that get like the that have the most opportunity to to fit in popular music um oh yeah the, um i know it was very popular especially in the like even now to some extent is to you know just like 
if a certain label puts it out, it is loaded with all of their artists and it almost, uh, stuff like the Texas Chainsaw Massacre part two, uh, like is like mm-hmm. an Enigma records compilation from the late eighties. Yeah. How do you, um, how did you come to see speed for the first time? I, I imagine it's not much different than, than most of us, but do you have a, a particular story about it? I remember being in a friend's basement. I didn't see it in the theater, but they had like a VHS copy of it. Like their their family was like wealthy, so they bought the copy. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so there were a bunch of um, folks from high school that like I didn't really even know. I think uh, I was always an outsider, and then I was invited to this one party to watch Speed. Um, and they just kind of put it on and kept talking, whereas I was watching Speed. <laughs> <laughs> So everyone else was socializing, but I was having a great time watching this film. That was that was my introduction to it. Have you gone back and um, rewatched it for purposes that were not for this podcast? <laughs> no, I hadn't. Um, and in fact, I had completely forgotten that Dennis Hopper was the villain. Yeah. I, I did not remember that at all. Um, and I didn't remember that the actor who plays Cameron and Ferris Bueller was in this <laughs> and playing like the yokel. Um, yeah, so many things that I forgot about it. That it was it was so much fun to watch it again, and and I have to say, you know, um, this this the other soundtrack that was released was the score from Speed by Mark Mancina, and it is so good and it definitely holds up. And it, that is, I think, a huge part of one of the successes of this film. It's it's one of those that constantly gets brought up in like film scores that don't get their due sort of thing because i I feel like a lot of like action scores are either lauded or derided um and this one it's those who know it love it but it seems (laughs) like it doesn't get near the 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 plaudits that you know like you're you're more uh 70s action films or uh like the more um even like some modern action films are starting to actually get up there with your you know you like junkie xl taking Mm -hmm. on aspects of things but it 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 seems to have fallen through the cracks because that was like when film scores were like sort of at in terms of availability definitely at their nadir yeah uh, this was actually Mark's first film that he was able to score by, like take the credit all himself too, because he had been working under Hans Zimmer um, for uh, a few years, um, kind of apprenticing and, and and doing work with him. And uh, the fact that this is his first score, and that everyone, like composers, know this score, they talk about it a lot. When I mentioned it on social media, people were like. Like, oh, yeah, this is a great one. Like, I own it. I still listen to it in the car. Um, and 
there's a lot that uh, there's an interview that Mark Mancina does with some, I can't remember who it's with, but he says that like throughout his time um, working in Hollywood, there have been so many young composers who come up to him and say, like, we we based our action film score off of speed. <laughs> and so I think that like people may not even understand how much of a, an effect he had on action scores specifically. And he wasn't even like he's not like an action guy. Like, right. The one of the biggest movies he's done in the past few years is Moana. Yep. You know, like he so he. It's so good. And he's, you know, he's a classical musician who loves playing like classical guitar and stuff, but he just happened to be really great at doing action films. And then it took forever for him to try to get out. It took him going to do, um, I think, The Lion King in the theater um, to get away from doing action films. But he had such an, uh, an, influence, on, uh, an influence on every action film that followed. Um, he has done scores to like just iconic like not just like i mean like legitimate like tentpole action films like he did yeah. twister he did con air he did bad boys he did training day which i honestly like i i i really appreciate that one because that's sort of like the the more subtle like action stuff yes um, um so good. And, and he excels though in every style is one of the things like i ugh, i don't know I never thought I'd be like standing for Mark Mancina, but I'm like, no, this guy's really great. Like, y'all should know about him. <laughs> and yeah, no, like, I think everybody, um, I think everybody should, if they haven't, if you haven't seen Moana, go see Moana and then like listen to all of that music and then listen to the speed score and just marvel at like the, the, those are two very different things that are both of very high quality. Um, and it is amazing to think that it was done by the, the, the same man. Um, yeah, gosh, wow, film scores. This is really fun. Um, one of the things that I want to talk to you about, the soundtrack back again, which I totally forgot about. Do you know the Plimsolls? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, I, I'm, uh, I, I own many Plimsolls records. <laughs> not, not, well, not just everywhere at once. I've got, like, the live album. That, oh. Yeah, yeah, big fan. I love that. I love that because I, I, it's one of those things where I, I guess I didn't realize that it was the Plimsolls version of Million Miles Away that was on the soundtrack. I think I had maybe just assumed it was like the Goo Goo Dolls version uh, when they had covered it. But I mean, I'm pretty sure the the Million Miles Away and Plimsolls kind of got on everyone's radar from the Valley Girl soundtrack. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so it's a really fascinating um, decision that a decade after Valley Girls came out, that he would put Million Miles Away on this soundtrack with the original Plimsolls recording. I think that song, um, we did some episodes over the summer where we where we talked to uh, what we're doing now, which is... Uh, doing like sort of your uh favorite soundtracks where i talk to other podcasters and um a writer named sarah jane like she picked uh valley girl as hers because she grew up in la and just like we we talked about the idea that like a million miles away by the plimsolls is like like a very any song off that soundtrack is almost like iconically la especially for like that time period yes like that song was a like that song did well nationwide, but I mean, like in LA, that was like a bona fide hit. Yes, it, it's it's 
It's so good. Like, I mean, I, I, I find it difficult to talk about it because I just, I, I just feel like I should just tell people, I'm like, you don't know it, go listen to it. Like, fix that problem. I'm, you know, I'm surprised. Like, I really don't think the Plimsolls, uh, like, their their name, their contributions really endured past some soundtracks, it seems like. You mentioned that name to a lot of people. They, um, they have no recognition of what it is. But if you play the song, you know, a million miles away, they're like, oh, yes, okay, I know this. Well, it, it's sort of, a, the, the Plimsolls are kind of an inter- just an interesting band just because they're like one of the multiple offshoots of the nerves so uh who who are themselves most famous for having a their their most famous song is done by another band in this case hanging on the telephone as done by blondie but Mm -hmm. um yeah like um the the nerves like broke off all of these different bands none of like all of which are very popular amongst um let's say like former college radio DJs who do podcasts out of their basement. Um, yeah. I'm also one of those people. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, there's, there's, uh, but that song is particularly good. We should probably also talk about like some of these other songs that just, it's just sort of fascinating to me as to how like a, a, a remix of cars it's it's so on the <sighs> nose. <laughs> well, I mean the the remix. Um, I don't. I mean, I don't know why you wouldn't just put the original on it. But um, the remix, you know, is like '90s kind of dancey stuff. Very um, God. It's just it's of that time. Like I I hear it and I I go back to like these moments where like there were. Um, kind of dumb raves popping up and everyone was like doing really dumb dance remixes, but still it's, I don't know. It's of that time. I'm curious. Um, there's something like, again, this seems a little prescient because these were, this was like a little bit ahead of like the, like where you would have movies like virtuosity and I guess later like blade where it's all just like, you know, techno is that point where it's like, oh, electronic music is going to be the next thing in alternative music and it's going to kill guitars. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, uh, they're like, it's, it's again, it's that thing where it's like, it didn't quite hit, but it's definitely, it's, it's looking towards things that would be happening within a year or two. Yeah. I mean, Ralph Saul, I think, is a really smart dude. <laughs> he is. I mean, this may not be a great soundtrack, but you can definitely see what he's thinking here and what he's trying to do. Um, even I think that even the Like a Motorway, the St. Etienne song that's on this, is also kind of um, an even more upbeat, dancey mix than the original that they had released on their album, too. Um, and so... Yeah, the the techno electronic thing influence on this is huge. Um, you know, outside of the fact that then you also have Rod Stewart's Hard Road from like the <laughs> 1970s, you know, very different. I am kind of surprised that he chose Rick Ocasek's Crash and not Drive by the Cars. It, it, well, he I believe that he actually produced that song for Rick Ocasek. So uh... Because he produced both, um, I think the the Billy Idol one and then the uh, 
the Rick Ocasek one because he had worked with both of them previously. And I think those were the two kind of um, original contributions that he was offering to the soundtrack. And the, the very last track on the soundtrack is Kisses Mr. Speed. <laughs> the classic Mr. Speed. The, the song that even were you to like maybe find like my uncle who has a a kiss collection to to rival possibly even Gene Simmons himself like I think he would be hard pressed to be able to give you any lyrics from this song no there the, yeah nothing there's honestly it's just I think that he was looking for anything that had like speed cars driving in the title. Um, which is why you get Crackers' Let's Go for a Ride, which is, um, I believe it was released on an album like in 93 um, of theirs and did nothing. No one cared about it, but it seems like Ralph Sell like, just dug deep and was like, oh, wow, here's a song about cars. <laughs> <laughs> People seem to like Cracker. Let's, let's go with that. Being as how you are not an LA native and moved, how did did Speed have any sort sort of uh, effect on like when you moved to LA, how you viewed it at all? I think um, you know the '90s. They were actually setting like a lot of um, action films in Los Angeles. You know, they were using it as a setting because uh, it's kind of a you know it's a it's a wild and crazy time in Los Angeles in the '90s. You know, it's like housing is cheap. You know, it's anything goes, um, and that was kind of the general impression that I got from films. Uh, Speed. I definitely remember the highway scene. I remember the highway scene because, um, like, early on where uh, they're able to go 50 for a while and then Sandra Bullock is driving the bus and then they hit a traffic jam and she has to, like, interrupt <laughs> Keanu to, to be like, what do we do? What do we do? And then there's that really wonderful tense scene where they um, they have to go off the exit and hit every single car that's waiting in line. <laughs> and um, I remember that being like, oh, yeah, Los Angeles. I guess this is what happens there. <laughs> <laughs> and it is the kind of shit that happens here, by the way. Like, the local news is pretty uh, it's pretty jarring, we'll say. It doesn't feel real half the time. Regarding the, the film itself and sort of like things that have come after it, uh, have you ever listened to Matt Gorley's I Was There Too podcast? No, I haven't. Should I? What's, what is it? Um, he talks to people who are present for uh, scenes in uh, cinematic history. Um, I stole like half of that for this podcast. Um, uh, but... He did an episode early on where he talked to, I want to say it was seven or eight people who were the people on the bus. Oh, wow. And it is fascinating because you basically find out like the movie was started out much differently. Like it was originally more 
of like an ensemble piece where like everybody on the bus like did different things and then like it became this big like sort of you know like smash and bang action film but yeah it's it's fascinating to hear the stories from the people who are like oh no like i had lines and i had a backstory and stuff like that (laughs) i remember there the the one there's the one tall guy who gets to be in it for a while, like the bigger guy, because yes. he's you know his strength is really kind of uh, it's useful and vital to the storyline as they have it. Um, but I was wondering why they had so many um, kind of known character actors in those roles if they didn't get to talk. <laughs> that is the reason why. Yeah, I mean it, it would have been a completely different film, but then you wouldn't get this like gorgeous. Um, uh, love story between uh, Keanu Reeves and Sandra Bullock, um, uh, which Sandra Bullock makes this film. I oh, need yeah. to throw that out. Absolutely. Because uh, Keanu Reeves, as much as I love him, not necessarily the most charismatic actor at that time. Um, but he does deliver some of my favorite lines, like when the um, when she hits the baby carriage that turns out to be uh, uh, pop cans strewn <laughs> in the street. And she's freaking out, and he says, Cans! Cans! <laughs> Which I would love to hear that sampled in some kind of 90, 1990s like electronic track, you know? That would also sample the German Krautwart rock band Can. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he's called yes, Can totally. Cans. <laughs> yeah, I like that bizarro abstract kind of thing. Um, but yes, this this movie. Uh, it's funny when you're talking about Valley Girls, uh, Valley Girl, and the um, the soundtrack being so Los Angeles specific. Um, it does make me wish that this one were a little bit more LA specific. You know that it put me more into um, uh, a geographical place as opposed to just you know thematically linking together. That would be interesting, especially like the ninety, like this particular point. Um in in music in general but like in la like the post uh glitter like this would have been definitely post glitter rock uh hair metal sunset strip stuff it like it just would have it would have begun its dis it would be full into descent at this point yes with a few stragglers with a few stragglers that's always the thing uh, so your podcast yes my podcast I, I I am I am I am a fan of both the concept and the show, um, listeners. Uh, as, as as I will state in the introduction, which will be recorded later, um, uh, Switchblade Sisters is April's uh, podcast, uh, and it is fantastic. It is on the Maximum Fun Podcast Network, um, and it is a podcast that quote provide provides deep cuts on genre flicks from a female perspective. You have talked with some of um, my favorite creators, um, like just starting off your first episode talked with like one of the people that I am a big fan of with a film that I am borderline evangelical about, uh, which is, um, Emily Gordon talking about, uh, the film bone tomahawk. Oh, I love hearing, I love hearing that you are borderline evangelical about uh, bone tomahawk because it's become, one of my favorites, especially after analyzing it, I think I liked it even more, which I didn't think was impossible. Or that didn't think was possible. What I've really uh, appreciated is the fact that, in addition to a show where two women talk about 
creativity. You're also, you've also covered like a lot of films by women, which I, I, I've, I've found like wonderful, like, uh, talking about near dark, talking about the invitation. Um, and they're just, what was sort of the Genesis of how the switchblade sisters podcast came to be? Well, um, I've, I've been a genre fan my entire life. I think I really loved, um, horror and action and, you know, everything in between. And, uh, I think as a, as a woman in that space, it's not, it's not always welcoming. Um, but when you do find other women who enjoy these things, um, which sometimes it's really unexpected. Sometimes it's, it's someone who, um, tends to love, you know, romance movies too, but they also love horror. Then you, you form this really deep bond over, uh, genre cinema. And, and I think the conversation about what you're getting out of these films, um, as, as a, you know, a female identifying person is really, really quite different than, um, what critics or what male viewers were watching. And I would love, you know, to have that be more part of the conversation. Um, so that was a huge thing. But then at the same time, a lot of my work from, uh, for film criticism and everything is spotlighting, um, uh, female filmmakers and, um, trying to get them into the cultural conversation. So I figured the easiest way to do that and to talk about, you know, film craft and their thoughts on work um, is to get them to be the ones talking to me about genre cinema. So it's kind of a sneaky way for me to um, get people more interested in the work of women. What is, um, what was your genre cinema like entree? Like what was, what was the film that made you like realize that you needed to start seeking out more genre film? Well, I mean, I always tell the story that my grandparents raised me and they watched horror films every single night. It was a ritual where we went to the local Rite Aid to rent some VHSs uh, every single night. And we always watched horror till very, very late. Um, and I think the one that I really remembered when I was like, I might have been like five. I was very, very young. But I, I loved um, Sleepaway Camp. Oh, yeah. I, it's just, you know... And if I return to it as an adult, it's a really uh, experimental, really interesting film. Um, that I think some of the the techniques that they were using, even from like um, like flashback memory sequences, I was like, "This is amazing!" Um, and I, you know, congratulated my younger self for having such good taste in film. <laughs> um, so, um, where can people find the show? Well, you can find it on Apple Podcasts or on the MaximumFun.org page and um, also on Twitter. Just follow Switchblade Pod and um, you'll get all the info updates on new episodes and fun things that we're talking about. Now, uh, in addition to being uh, a a podcaster, you are also a writer on film. Um, Where can folks track down uh, your, your writing? Um a few different places right now, mostly at village voice. Um, so you can find all my reviews over there and probably in the new year, a bunch of other places, but village voice is the safest bet. Wonderful. April. Thank you so much for taking time to talk to me. This has been so much fun. Oh, thanks Nick. This is great. I needed an excuse to uh, rewatch this movie.
Thanks to April Wolf for speaking with us. You can find April on Twitter at AWolfel, that's A-W-O-L-F-E-F-U-L, and Switchblade Sisters is at SwitchbladePod on Twitter. You can check out the show at MaximumFun.org. Her latest episode features the always amazing genre icon Barbara Crampton, talking about last year's French body horror film, Raw. You can find this show on Facebook and Twitter at FromInspiredPod, and at our website, FromInspiredBy.com. Please hit up the website and click on the Give Us Money button to help pay for web hosting and long-distance fees, and remember to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher. You might also want to go to BestOfLawrence.com and vote for us as Best Podcast podcast in Lawrence, Kansas. We greatly appreciate it. We'll be back in three weeks talking about Transformers and the films of Jean-Claude Van Damme with the one and only Stan Bush. Until then, thanks for listening. There's a bomb on a bus. Once the bus goes 50 miles an hour, the bomb is armed. If it drops below 50, it blows up. What do you do? What do you do?